To a special edition of the Racecourse Ramble podcast. Uh, this today is not so necessarily sort of focused on uh, Wrexham as much as it is on uh, all the clubs in the sort of National League. Uh, I was uh, lucky enough to have some time with uh, Fred Atkins, who is the writer and presenter of the documentary called Gate Money, um, which uh, covers the time pre-takeover or just about our takeover really at uh, the time of our takeover as the it covers the pandemic and the uh, lottery funding which was uh, distributed around national league clubs including the uh, national league north and south as well um, and how that money was distributed amongst the clubs um, and I obviously I won't spoil too much throughout this sort of interview and through my words but because I'm going to encourage everybody to watch the documentary. Now, during the interview, uh, Fred gave away that uh, by uh, potentially by the end of this week, um, I think he says 27th, 28th, um, the documentary might be on YouTube, so it might already be there by the time you uh, by the time you get round to listening to this. Um, it's going to be uh, available on YouTube for everybody to watch. And there's been some screenings around the country for people to see it as well and some Q&As with, uh, with, with various people. But uh, there was, uh, if you're not sort of so aware of the story, there was some uh, abnormalities, shall we call it, in how the funding, uh, the £10 million National Lottery uh, funding was distributed amongst the clubs. Uh, and as the uh, title of the documentary alludes to, um, that was supposed to be sort of based on uh, re- replacing your gate money. Uh, however, that uh, that didn't sort of work out like that, um, and uh, uh, Wrexham were one of the clubs that sort of uh, were one of the worst off clubs, not the worst off club, I don't think, but we were one of the clubs that suffered the most from this, uh, how this f- funding was uh, distributed. So, obviously, I won't, uh, won't sort of spoil too much because obviously everyone's going to be able to see this documentary, and um, obviously I don't want to take anything away from. Uh, the, the time and the interview I did with uh, with Fred, um, so yeah, listen, I'll encourage everybody to watch the documentary. Obviously, uh, if, if you follow us on Twitter at Racecourse Ramble, we'll let everybody know when the documentary is available, um, and I would really encourage you to watch it because there's a fascinating story here, um, and I think that the National League um, and the National League Board. Will uh, there'll be a fire on on their seats, shall we call it, once this lands and is is available? And as Fred alludes to in the uh, in the interview, there's a, still a lot of anger and resentment around from fans and from uh, club officials uh, on what happened uh, and how that money was uh, was distributed. So um, you know, and the National League are certainly not our friends at the moment, are they? When you think about the, the battles that we have with them over streaming, etc. So you know, um, I think this. Uh, hopefully, this will. Uh, you know, I'm really hoping this sort of uh, 
forces a bit of reform on that board and some clarity it comes um, because at the moment they are a very muddy organisation um, as, as has been alluded to by myself and others before so yeah Fred was really kind with his time um, I hope you'll uh, you know they've got a uh, a great little we- a website of gatemoney.co.uk so you can obviously keep up to date with what's going on the trailers there um, a little bit of the story and contact details uh, for the team they're also obviously on social media um, so uh, at um, at Fred Atkins 1973 is the uh, is Fred the writer the writer presenter he calls himself um, but also they do have a um, they do have a separate sort of Twitter for the documentary, which is at Gate Money Doc, at Gate Money Doc. So um, if you want to follow the very latest of what's going on, then obviously uh, that's uh, that's all there for for people to see. Um, so yeah, it's a fascinating story. Um, we were extremely lucky if you think about. Um, as I alluded to in the interview, this sort of took place around the time that our takeover took place. So in hindsight, we got away with it in the fact that we didn't necessarily need that funding. Uh, we were entitled to it, I guess is what you would say, but we just, you know, we didn't necessarily need it. But um, we, you know, in another in another universe, our takeover doesn't go through. Um, and that, that, you know, the way that funding is distributed has a very different uh, influence on our on our future um so that's uh, that's you know that's that's really all I'll say to set up the uh, the chat that I had with Fred so I hope you enjoy it um I say uh, thanks again to Fred for sparing his time at the uh, it's actually on the day that uh, Saudi Arabia have just beaten Argentina is the day that we're recording this so um we were constantly looking for updates uh, as we went along uh, and we were a little bit shocked at the end where we couldn't believe it when we finished the interview, checked the scores and uh, Saudi Arabia had beaten Argentina in the World Cup. So um, that's when we did it. I hope you enjoy it as ever. Um, you know, stay in touch on social media. Um, I really appreciate all the follows and all the people downloading uh, the episodes of the podcast. It's been fantastic. People from all over the world, which is bizarre. Um so yeah, don't be afraid to drop me a message. Always interested to, to to see what people have got to say about the club and the goings on. So uh, I'd be really interested if you'd let me if you've listened to this documentary and you let me know uh, uh, how you think ha- what what your thoughts are, uh, especially after you've seen the documentary. As I say, it'll probably be available by the time that you uh, get round to listening to this podcast. But we'll uh, we'll see how it goes from there. Okay, enough of my waffling. Let's uh, let's get on to the chat with me and Fred. Okay, so I, I guess I should start by saying thank you for your time again because uh, uh, obviously you're busy doing screenings etc at the moment, Fred, aren't you? <laughs> and you've just got back from Chester, which I was tempted to go to. I don't know if you remember this. I did say I was tempted to go, but it was a bit too close yeah. to enemy territory for a Wrexham fan. Uh, well, there was a there was a sort of theatrical booth uh, when the name of Ryan Reynolds got mentioned at the start. There was a, a slightly theatrical booth from somebody in the back row, um, 
and then it was another slightly theatrical poo afterwards and somebody was telling me about the rivalry which i i actually found very interesting because that's the sort of thing that um that I'm, i am interested in and uh, i asked him i said uh, you know for the england wales game that's coming up um how many people in chester are going to be supporting england and how many are going to be supporting wales because I thought, as it's a border town, there's probably going to be a bit of a split. Um, and he said, absolutely, everybody will be supporting England. Yeah. Because it's such a rivalry. That, yeah. And he just sort of waved in the direction of Wales and said, um, it's just such a rivalry that no one here will be supporting them. Yeah. And, and to be fair, you know, that's a, it's an English club as well. So, uh, you know, I'm sure there are, and I know for a fact there are people who live in Wrexham that support Chester. Um, but obviously you just weren't lucky enough to have any of them at the screen in, uh, you know, it was just coincidence, <laughs> no. obviously. Um, it, it would have been interesting, I think. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot, not a lot of love loss. Um, you know, we, we used to have to be bubbled into the games, um, you yeah. know, with the big police escorts, etc. Um so there wasn't a lot of love lost. So um, and we will come on to the screen. I've got questions about the screenings and how they've gone uh, and how they've gone. Um, but I, I guess what I'd like to do for a bit of context, uh, if you don't mind, I'll just set yeah. the scene for people who maybe aren't as aware as uh, people like myself about what the documentary is. Um, uh, I, I mean that with the greatest, of, obviously, of respect um, to yourself and to the work and to the PR that you've put out. And but there was a brilliant paragraph on here on your website, which is gatemoney.co.uk, uh, which just sets the scene. I think so. Gate money is the story of the. £10 million national lottery grant that was supposed to keep 66 National League clubs uh, alive during the pandemic. Uh, how did what should have been a feel-good story turn so toxic so quickly that some cash-starved clubs were pushed to the brink? Why did the league end up burying the report into its own conduct? And why does football still not have an independent regulator? Um, and then there's a great stat here for, uh, I think, something that might have caught you by surprise. So that, you know, in this first sort of 24 hours of release of the Gate Money trailer, you know, that attracted over tw over 50,000 views. Um, so there's clearly yeah. a lot of interest in the documentary. Um, and I know from my point of view, um, I guess I should set the scene a little bit. Um, so obviously, you know, being a Wrexham fan, we're in a very different situation now to at the time that that money was being... Um, sort of spread around, supposedly. Um, you know, that t our takeover was going through at the time, um, but it wasn't a done deal. Um, and if you think, if, you know, the Rob McElhenney, one of the co-owners, has sort of uh, publicly said on TV that, you know, Wrexham was in a bit of a mess at the time, although we had cash in the bank, you know, we weren't, uh, we didn't have a, you know, a, a big owner who could sort of, you know, keep, keep the cash coming yeah. in the... Because we didn't know how long the pandemic was going to last, we didn't know, you know, we didn't know what was how it was going to play out, and so we we've nearly lost. You might not realise this, but we nearly lost our club once before. Um, yeah, I did. I did know the history. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so we 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 wear them scars. We were lucky we got through it. Fans did an incredible job to keep us alive, um, but we it does feel like this. You know, this might have been the end of us, really, again, you know. Um, so this is why this story, to me, is fascinating um, and why I'm so invested in it. Um, and that's what attracted me to it. Um, so um, 
I guess from, from set the scene for us. What's your situation? What's your story? What what? How did you end up telling this story? Is this a is this a job? Is it work or was it just something that you know you you got attracted to as well at the time? Well, I mean, I um, I've supported Maidstone since I was about three or four years old, um, and I am now forty nine, so I go back quite a long way with this, um, and that includes. The formation of the National League, which was then the Alliance Premier League, back in 1979. So I was there at the first game, and it, it always feels non-league to me, even though it's, it's changed beyond recognition. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to know what it was like at the time, if you go to a League of Wales game, um, that is probably what it felt like being in the Alliance Premier League in 1979. You probably get about 800 fans there. Um, the grounds were nothing like they are now and of course because you've had 40 years of promotion well you've had about 35 years of promotion and relegation um it's completely transformed non-league football um what hasn't necessarily been transformed is the way that the league has been run yeah um it's moved on in a lot of ways but it's still run a bit like you would expect a league to have been run in 1979 um now the chairman the first chairman of the National League, the Alliance Premier League, was a man called Jim Thompson. He was the chairman and owner of Maidstone United. Um, and he basically sold Maidstone United's ground. Uh, he used the proceeds to fund promotion to the Football League. So your older supporters will remember that Maidstone and Wrexham did actually play each other um, for about three seasons when Maidstone were in the Football League. And in fact, we actually... Uh, we were the opponents after the Arsenal match in 92. So the week after Wrexham had beaten Arsenal, Maidstone managed to hold them to a nil-nil draw on the same pitch. Um, but shortly after that, it all went wrong. So I sort of, you know, the scars that you're talking about, um, I have the same scars because Maidstone went under in 92. Uh, they didn't have a ground in the town for 24 years between 1988 and 2012. Um, and when you keep your ground, as Wrexham did, as Chester did, as Aldershot did, you've got a chance of reforming, even if you do go under. Um, so you might end up dropping down a few divisions, but you've still got an asset that usually is enough to keep the club alive in some form. Yeah. Whereas what happened to Maystone was more akin to what happened to Newport County um, you know, who I believe, I think they went, had to go into exile for quite a few seasons. Um, and it took them a long time to get back to the level that they got back to. Um, and so what I saw happening, um, I never thought that Maidstone were going to go out of business again because, of, because they had the ground, um, because there were enough people around there that were going to keep the club going. But there were other clubs that, like Dulwich, for example, who were quite central to this documentary, who had, um, Dulwich was basically had about 200 fans back in the sort of mid 2000s, or they were getting gates of about 200. Um, and they've just transformed themselves. So they're now getting about 2000 at match. Um, and they were doing it in a number of ways, but basically they were a self-sufficient club. Um, so they were using their gate money to fund a promotion push um, in a division where they're coming up against a lot of clubs that are owned by, uh, how can I put it, 
usually by businessmen um, who are happy to fund a club and make a loss. Yep. Um, and during the pandemic, what happened was clubs below a certain level were able to play football. Clubs at football league level were able to play because they had television deals. But in the National League, where Wrexham and Maystone were, they weren't allowed to have fans in. And the streaming deals were just worth a fraction of what the football league deal was. Yeah. So the only way that they could survive was basically by going into hibernation. So these clubs went into mothballs for six or seven months. But then in the background, there was talk that there was going to be a national lottery grant that was going to enable the clubs to play during the pandemic. Um, and, you know, one of, actually one of the biggest surprises for me was that this grant money actually turned up in the first place. Because, I, you know, that to me was the headline. It's like government keeps promise. Yeah, yes, thought, yeah absolutely. This, yeah. This government, have, <laughs> yeah. this government have actually delivered on a promise. And I... So I was still sort of reeling from that. And um, I thought, well, yeah, what everybody says here is that someone has done a great job in getting a 10 million pound grant. I mean, they really have that. It was an extraordinary achievement to get that kind of money in. Um, and then you went from that within about the space of three or four days, when everybody found out how the money was going to be carved up, all of a sudden, um, clubs who had taken on trust, you know, they were going to get the gate money covered, as had been said in Parliament, as had been specified all along. Which is in the um, trailer, you know, it's very yeah. clear, it's in the trailer, that, yeah. yeah. It's, it's absolutely explicit that that's what it was for. So you've got Nigel Huddleston in Parliament being absolutely categorically explicit, saying it's going to be to cover your gate money. Right, so to take the example of Dulwich, uh, they were averaging 2,000 fans a match. And, uh, you know, they were given a, a fraction more than some of the clubs that were getting barely 150 a game. Uh, so the extremes were so stark. I mean, York City were the biggest losers. I think they were getting about £13 per fan or something. And, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm just clicking. I, this, the, uh, I've got a table. It hasn't come from yourself. I should make that clear. This is yeah. just something that somebody uh, somebody sort of sent to me. Um, but th that figure, I'm, I was just trying to, I was just trying to clarify, uh, quantify whether what you're saying tallies up with this sort of third-party table that I've got. But you're saying yeah. York City was the worst at thirteen odd pound, so that tallies up on my table. So I've got a bit more faith in the yeah. table I've got now. Well, everybody, we, you know, there have been a few models put out there, yeah, um, and they're all pretty much the same. Basically, York were the biggest losers um, because they were. You know that we use the term belt, don't we? Big X League team. Yeah. Um, and York were in uh, National North at the time. And Maidstone technically are a big X League team, although we reformed. Yeah. Uh, we were in the South at the time, and we were among the biggest losers. Um, I say that as a Maidstone fan rather than as a you know as anybody else. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting, it was it was all of the big clubs that lost out. So Notts County, Stockport, Wrexham. Chesterfield, um, Hereford, I should say, are in National North as well as York. So they all got far less money than they were expecting. Um, and in the case of Dulwich, they got about, I think it was two thirds of what they were expecting or even less than that. Um, and that put them in immediate trouble 
because they'd triggered contracts. Yeah, okay. When the money was coming, they was like, right, okay, now we know this is coming. This will trigger the contracts. We've got players in the squad. Um, and we, yeah, I suppose what I think here, what I find interesting is that everybody took it on trust that this was going to arrive. Um, and that perhaps in hindsight was maybe a bit naive yes. to do that. Um, but once they've done this, then all of a sudden they find out they're getting far less money than they were expecting. And well, then they've been told that they're going to get. And suddenly they can't pay for their players' wages, you know. And the other thing that happened um, was that this was all based on an assumption that only three months' money was going to be needed because COVID was going to be over. Right. And in November or December, people were going to be allowed back in the grounds. And so clubs were going to be allowed to generate their own money again. And of course, COVID wasn't over. And the 10 million quid had gone by the end of the three months and everybody ran out of money. Yeah. Um, and basically because of you know, the way that it happens, the, the reaction to it, the reaction, particularly from the larger clubs was furious. You know, you, you will have seen it yourself. There was obviously a huge amount of social media um, pressure going on, but it didn't do any good. It didn't make anybody change their minds. And of course, when you attract negative headlines like that, um, if you were involved in the government or Camelot, because the money came from a national lottery. National lottery, yeah. Right. So if after that you suddenly say, right, I actually need another £10 million, well, they're going to turn around and look at you and say, well, I'm not that keen on how you spent the last £10 million, so why should I give you another £10 million? Uh, I'm laughing. So I, I'm, gonna... I was gigg I'm giggling to myself based on the fact that um, only this week, I think, sorry to interrupt, but in the in the last mini budget, they sort of disbanded the team that was looking for the fraudulent 7 billion that they'd given away. <laughs> and yeah. we're worried about where, you know, whether we should ask for another 10 million. It's, it's a farcical in hindsight, isn't it? But I understand your point. Sorry to interrupt. No, no I mean, it, it, that's exactly the point. I mean, it's, uh, you know, even this government was distancing itself from what had happened. Um, and it was one of the reasons why I didn't think this was actually going to be a huge story, because given the context of what was happening at the time, you've just alluded to it yourself. So you've got Matt Hancock handing out contracts to his mates. You've got defective PPE equipment. You've got, um, you know, as you've just said, this fraud squad has just been disbanded. So it's not like this government is um, particularly easy to shame. And yet, by this stage in the pandemic, they didn't want anything to do with this story. Um, and it, at that point, it became farcical because there was no money to play. There was no money to pay the players. And yet they were still insisting that the fixtures go ahead. Yeah. And so we got into a situation where clubs were I basically calling games off for spurious reasons saying that they had like too COVID many injuries cases and COVID cases with the, and I don't blame them for doing it because the alternative was that they were going to have to play academy players, um, you know, uh, amateurs clubs were ringing around trying to get, um, people who would 
play for nothing, basically. Ringers, as we used to call them, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, not, you know, kind of the opposite of ringers, if you like. You know, ringers was, in a Sunday league side, if you get the ringer in, it was usually the guy from the local semi-pro team who could score a hat-trick. Whereas this was the opposite. This was just somebody who'd be happy to play and uh, pull on a shirt. And so it's just a, a bizarre time all round, really. Okay. So you, you come at it from a fan's point of view, I guess. That's what sort of first uh, first sort of hooked you, uh, hooked you into it. Um, I will, I'll share with you something that, um, that uh, at the time, the, um, uh, the gentleman sort of uh, director at Wrexham was a guy called Spencer Harris. Um, yes. Who uh, you might be aware of now, but... Um, uh, I haven't seen his name come up, so I don't know. I don't feel that he sort of features very much from in your sort of findings, etc. But um, I'll just share with you something that he wrote. Uh, he wrote it on Twitter to me and, and another friend. So just uh, um, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing it again because uh, obviously he's not at the club anymore as such. So um, he said, I'll look forward to because uh, I, I was I was t- I was actually telling people about this documentary and what was going on. Yeah. Um, sort of sharing the story. He said, I'll look forward to seeing that documentary. We fundamentally disagreed with the distribution method that disproportionately advantaged some clubs, that it seemed to us weren't losing the same amount of income from people unable to enter the stadiums. Um, and he said, Notts County and ourselves were... Obviously, there's a little bit of um, self-preservation here. Notts County and ourselves were most disadvantaged in the top division. Um, to make it worse, we, as, as a fan-owned club, we did not have a financial backer to manage the cash flow, unlike other clubs. Um, and then he, he just pointed out that he was proud that, that we came through that period and handed over the club to Ryan and Rob um, with cash in the bank. So, you know, this was a, you know, a, a real sort of, you know, you look at the, the sort of stats and stuff. It's, it's mind blowing when you, when you see the, I mean, I say the table that I've got that you, you didn't supply to me, but sounds like it might be about right. Um, as you've highlighted, it's sort of, it's mind blowing really, isn't it? You know, uh, what's and going he's on here. Right. He's absolutely right to be proud um, because, you know, if you look at, I, I guess, not having followed it that closely at the time, but if somebody had said to you, like, there's going to be two Hollywood stars that are going to come in and take over your club and save it, um, I doubt many people would have believed it. Nobody uh, believed to, it. You know, I tell you, nobody believed it. <laughs> yeah. So for him to to do what he did, to get it, to, just to make sure that the club was going to survive through it, no matter, you know, in some form, um, it's, it's a huge amount of credit to people who've done that and you do get I think most fans appreciate that certainly where we are um most fans do but you'll always get an element that you know that just doesn't care yeah um and it you know they don't care that you've just been through a pandemic like we we're not doing very well at the moment um most people understand what the owners have done for the club but some of them don't um and that I guess is a, a problem with the job but just coming back to Spencer um one of the things that we couldn't actually put in the film, which I really wish we could have done, was uh, we were going, you know, we, somebody showed us some emails, an email chain. Yeah. Um, when the clubs were trying to make some sort of coordinated effort to oppose this, um, Spencer signed off one of his emails with a bilingual email signature. So I apologize for the attempted Welsh here. It's Brilliant. A, Go for it. Don't worry. Fine, Kind regards, Coffee and Garau, um, Spencer. Spencer. Now, I hope I've said that somewhere nearly correct, right? Um, 
Now, the chairman, I won't name him, but I'll drop a hint, right? Uh, the chairman or director of a Northwest-based football club with possibly questionable links to right-wing politicians okay. read his email and assumed that Coffian was his name rather than Spencer. So he said, hi, Coffian, thanks for your email. Um, and he went down this whole sort of riff about everything. And Spencer just came up with this very kind of dignified reply saying, oh, actually, my name is Spencer. Coffian is Welsh for et cetera, et cetera. And, um, rather than sort of say, oh, oh sorry about that. Or, uh, you know, I apologize. This guy went into some sort of massive rant saying, oh, um, oh God, that's funny, isn't it, Spencer? Great. Um, I'm a massive Hollywood action movie fan. You know, he starts <laughs> going on about Gladiator and all of this stuff. And, <laughs> I was reading through this chain and he's saying, right, on my signal, we unleash hell. And um, I thought this is sort of indicative of the kind of level of people that we were we were looking at. And I thought, Maturity. When, yeah. I read, when I read that, I thought it's not a massive surprise that nothing came of the uh, collective action that they were mm. talking about. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you could write a book as well as do a documentary. Yeah, and, uh, I probably could actually. Yeah. Uh, with, uh, with obviously, you can fill some pages with some emails, redacted, obviously. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. um, that was one of the highlights. Yeah. <laughs> so, what was the point? I'm interested in what was the point that you thought? Well, hang on, there's there's a there's a story to be told here, and how did it become? Uh, well, now obviously it's a a, a documentary. Um, is there a is there a sort of point that you can uh, that you thought yeah this is this I need to tell well, this just you know just to sort of go back to what I said earlier you know first of all when it happened I thought well that doesn't make a lot of sense but I don't think it's much of a story because as as I mentioned you know we were in an era where Matt Hancock is just showering money to his close business associates or friends or you know he's, he's people in Miami or whoever yeah. WhatsApp somebody that he knows in a pub in Newmarket and asked him for, uh, you know, some PPE equipment or something like that. So I thought, given the level of, you know, fraud that was going on for government pandemic material, um, I really didn't think that this was much of a story. And the thing I have to stress here as well is that what they did wasn't illegal. It wasn't fraud. You know, this... <laughs> I'm not just saying that to, you know, to cover it for legal reasons. It, yeah. They didn't actually break any laws doing this. You know, yeah. It was, you can think of other adjectives for it, but it certainly didn't break any laws. So I just thought, well, again, you put it into context, don't you? You see what's going on with FIFA. And uh, I thought, why is anybody going to care about this? Um, and I had underestimated the level of anger that it had caused with fans. Um, because what I found myself on a Zoom call with Jasper Spanger, the director, um, and he wanted to tell the story, and I thought I could help him tell it. Um, we had a number of people that were interested in helping us logistically, financially, and with their time. And in the end, the thing that really kind of kick-started it was when we heard that David Bernstein wanted to talk, because he was the guy that had written the the report into what had happened he was a former chairman of the fa yeah uh, former chairman of manchester city and he clearly 
was uh, you know desperately wanted to get something off his chest about what had happened and that was the key to the film unrolling really brilliant so um obviously i say i mean people of a, a certain vintage will obviously know david bernstein well uh well I, you know i would know of him very well i guess so um how how did he get involved who triggered that uh, i guess is the because is who triggered that because he did the independent independent investigation yeah. should we call it is that the the right terminology but who 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 asked for that i guess is the uh, the well, interesting well, we point here we heard that he uh, was was unhappy um, or that he wanted to say something. Um, so we got hold of an email address for him. We ended up in a Zoom call. I think he wanted to check us out because he wanted to make sure that we weren't just a couple of YouTubers or pranksters. Like me. Yeah, a couple of idiotic, idiotic <laughs> podcasters. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> People underestimate the value of podcasts like this. Um, you know, I, I would never, ever dismiss a podcast like this or anything a fan is doing but i think he thought we were just like um i don't know what he thought uh he just wanted to make sure that we were journalists we weren't i like you know some sort of crap soccer am thing that's supposed to be funny yeah okay and and isn't funny you know or yeah. you know in my opinion um or that you had an agenda we uh, a per, you know, some sort of personal agenda, perhaps against the club or a board member or something. Yeah, you know, it was so, about getting the proper story out. Yeah, I mean, we and you know, we we weren't trying to sort of make this into a joke. Um, there aren't a lot of laughs in this film. I have to say, you know, you're not going to come out of it thinking, you know, thinking that you've just watched Ace Ventura or something. It's <laughs> uh, it's not that sort of film. We the the reaction we've got where we've screened it so far is that everyone has been really angry. Um, by the end of it. Okay. Um, yeah, I, 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 that was one of, one of my questions, actually, was have you been surprised about the ill feeling that's still around in fans and maybe club representatives that you still speak to, um, you know, about this? Or did, did, were you, was that just you thinking, oh, nobody really wants to know this story? You know, but I actually think there's quite a lot of people that really want to know this yeah. story. Well, I mean, once... Um... Once we'd started it, it's clear by the number of people that wanted to help us yeah. um, that, it, that it's all about perception, you know. Because as we say, nothing illegal happens. Yeah. But people feel that they people feel that they've been wronged. Yes. Um, you know, if you've got to make it as reductive as, poss as possible, if you've got a family of two, um, you don't need as much money to feed them as a family of five. Yeah. You clearly, if you've got five mouths to feed, you're going to need more money than if you have two to feed. And it's that sort of simple. People are sort of seeing it. Um, I think, right, well, you know, how come a side with hardly any supporters is getting a grant of this size? And that was never really explained. You know, it was it was so arbitrary. Like there was a, there was a slight adjustment made for certain clubs. So Wrexham did get a bit more than some clubs in the National League. And I think there were seven clubs five clubs that got slightly more in the national league but not much and certainly it was never explained why they had very slight what they had much higher attendances but it wasn't explained where the cutoff point was for this extra money um and it was arbitrary you know below that line everybody got the same amount of money so you had clubs that ended up losing a lot you had clubs that ended up losing a bit and the other thing was we wanted to make sure that we spoke to clubs that actually did well out of this 
yeah. distribution. So we went to uh, Dorking, for example. Yeah. And the point there is um, Dorking came out of it with more money than they might have done had this money, you know, the model been followed, but their owner could see the problems that lay ahead. He could see exactly what was going to happen. He knew that, for example, when Wrexham find out that they've not got anything near the money that they thought they were going to get, they're obviously going to react to that. You know, people weren't just going to sit there and say, look, thanks. Um, no problem. Yeah. We understand. People felt that they were wronged here. And he knew that. And he knew what was going to happen three months down the line when the money ran out. So, yeah. you know, we made a point of talking to people who'd done okay out of it. Um, and the one thing that we didn't get was any kind of reaction from the league. Yeah, Mark's a good person to speak to because he's, he's, you know, he's pretty honest um, uh, and open uh, about uh, uh, about everything. Uh, certainly, that's what we see. I'm, I'm you know, I, I've seen that he is in. The, he was obviously in the trailer, so I'm sure that's what you found as well. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a very shrewd character. Um, you know, to do what he's done, uh, I think a lot of people underestimate him uh, because he dresses in a certain way. He's quite outspoken. And during games, he, yeah. can be, he can be very outspoken, but he's very shrewd. And, um, you know, to do what he's done, uh, he really deserves a huge amount of credit for it. What's your background then? Have you ever done a documentary like this? Because I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start with sort of. I mean, we can record anything nowadays with, to be honest, with modern yeah. technology, but with like funding and getting somebody to put put this together. So just fill us in a little bit with your background and you know how how you got it all together. Uh, well, I've been a journalist for about twenty two years. I was an English teacher before that, um, and I didn't want to do that anymore. I got into journalism locally and I was covering Maidstone um, when they were at a very low level, um, probably the equivalent of about not even the Kent League. It was it was lower than the Kent League at the time. Um, so I kind of covered them as they went through the leagues um, and the story of getting the new ground and that all took quite a long time. And then I went freelance at the moment. I worked for um, the Associated Press and I did quite a lot of cricket and I ended up, I was Monty Panastar's ghostwriter at one point. Oh, yes. Uh, and my main job at the moment is I cover Kent for the England Wales Cricket Board and uh, Wisden. So I'm quite busy during the summer and less busy during the winter. Football season. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, not as busy as I'd like to be, actually. And uh, when this cropped up. Um, yeah, I thought, well, yeah, this is more interesting than what I'd normally be doing at this time of year. So, uh, so why not? Um, so obviously you mentioned, uh, is it Jasper before? So how, how yeah. did they become involved? Well, he's a film director based in Holland. Yeah. Um, and his background, he had directed a film about a player called Sergio Torres, who is, he's fairly well known at this level. He had a sort of big Afro kind of haircut. Uh, he's from Argentina and he started his career over here at Basingstoke. And uh, he ended up playing for Crawley, I think. I think he played for Crawley when they played Man United at Old Trafford. 
Um, and he's played for a few other sides, Wickham as well. And he's based in the southeast, and I think he's in Mallorca now. And um, he did it. Jasper did a biography of him, um, and then he went back to Holland and was filming some stuff. But he's a bit of a non-league badger, uh, so he's sort of fascinated by English football. He's always been fascinated by multiple levels of English football, and he heard about the story as well. Um, and I just ended up on a Zoom call with him, and. Uh, we thought, well, I think I said it before, you know, I'm not sure there's much of a story here, but there might just be something in this. Um, and if David Bernstein's interested in talking, then there definitely would be something in this. And then we started asking around. Uh, we started asking various clubs. And lots of clubs wanted to talk to us. Quite a lot of clubs didn't want to talk to us as well. Uh, we approached a number of fairly large clubs um, who basically just wanted to forget the whole thing. It was, it was like they, they thought it was all over um, and they didn't want to rake it up again, even though in some cases they'd ended up quite seriously out of pocket. Uh, I think they were just, you know, they were just tired of it all. But then we went to a number of other places and yeah, they just couldn't wait to, to tell us the story basically. So, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tiptoe around the, the not asking questions that were, I, I'd rather watch it unfold in the documentary yeah. than, than get it now. So I'm having to try and walk a fine line here. Um, I hope you obviously, uh, 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 I hope you don't mind that because I don't want to spoil oh, anything, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, um, so I guess fund fundamentally at this, uh, uh, what becomes the center of this is the national league because the funding went to the National League, is that right? To then be distributed. Yeah, I mean, without sort of spoil, you know, without um, giving oh, away the I, spoilers. I was a bit close it, there. Uh, yeah, after yeah. saying what I just said, I've now just spoiled yeah. <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah, there, there was a gap um, between the time that the grant was announced and the time that the distribution was announced. And that's kind of central to, to what happens in the film. Um, so, yeah. Okay. If I say much more than that, it I've, probably uh, would. I've, I was just going to, uh, the, uh, I don't know whether, so the National League is an interesting one to me. So the, the this sort of supposed board, because like if you research, we've, we, Wrexham and the National League are having a bit of a rocky relationship yeah. at the moment. Um, you might not be aware of this, but uh, Wrexham's owners would really like to be able to stream matches for our potential new yeah. foreign fans given the fact that we've got a documentary that's available worldwide now and the national league are not really wanting to play ball i'm stroke bt so there's there's two factors to play with but obviously uh, the national league of uh, uh, and wrexham have exchanged a few social media sort of uh, statements should we say um and I know people who before have sort of tried to, to, to get to the bottom of, well, exactly who makes up this board at the National League and who's on this board. And how have you found, you know, in your investigative work, how have you found that sort of, you know, are you fully aware of exactly who's on it? Because I, the reason I ask is that some of the some of these people may benefit in the documentary when you potentially see uh, information. Some of these clubs seem to benefit a little bit more. Um, who've got links to the National League board. So, you know, uh, have you got a nice, clear understanding? I'm not expecting you to say, yeah, it's this, 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 this. Yeah. But like, it doesn't, it just seems a bit muddled and messy and muddy. That, yeah, part of the, uh, part of what we touch on is um, the fact that it isn't obvious. 
yeah um who's on it you know it isn't obvious who's accountable for certain things um they're like the Illuminati is how I described them you know you just <laughs> secret well, yeah, handshakes I mean, and pin badges I don't know what what uh is interesting about this is I mean for a Wrexham point of view like I'm sure that most Wrexham fan, fans the impression I get they think this league is a kind of purgatory um that they're you know you, you've dropped out of the football league and you've been stuck at this level for so long that it seems like you're never going to get out of it this is um, our 15th year <laughs> yeah yeah 15 years in and i can understand that um a lot of the clubs in the league like like maidstone for example mason's a different case because we've been up and down a lot um but for someone like dorking uh to get it to this level they've never ever played at this level before yeah um and it's actually this this league is a real success story, you know. If if you look at what's happened over forty years, um, it has absolutely transformed non-league football because it gives everybody a chance. And I think this, I think this is what appeals to Reynolds and McElhenney, that this is actually the American dream. You know, you can take a club from nowhere, yeah, in a way that you can't do in American sports because there's and no promotion and relegation. You see, that's what appealed yeah. to them. Yeah, absolutely. But um, having said that, you know, when, when you look at how it's run and who runs it, it is very difficult to find out who's in charge. Um, and if you go on their website now, I don't know whether they've updated it in the last sort of month or so, but it is very difficult to see who's making decisions. It's very difficult to get, you know, press contact. Um, and for an organisation at this level, you think they would have, I, I don't know. You'd think they'd be a team, yeah. Um, but who that team is isn't always obvious when you first look at things. It may have changed. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. 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 I because I thought I better just check because I wondered whether some of your activity um, would have perhaps pressed them um, into sort of uh, some action and making things clear and some clarity. But obviously, it it it, it hasn't as of yet. Shall we say? Um, no, the only reaction we've had so far publicly was from uh, the chairman of Yeovil, who was sort of trying to distance himself from the decisions that were made when he heard that we were making a documentary. But uh, uh, he, he wasn't particularly keen to talk to us. He he just seemed to be talking to his own website. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, so that's I was that was, so that well again that was one of my, that was one of my questions was what's what's the reaction from officials and that sort of level so you've had no, no responses we'll, we'll, nothing we will we will wait and see if there's a reaction um, yeah. which you know there may there may or may not be um, they they reacted during the saga uh, they sent letters of protest to. The non-league paper complaining about the coverage and they would have been better off probably not saying anything not saying anything at all really but i mean i didn't how can i put it i i just don't know what will happen whether there will be any reaction at all or not uh so from your point of view um from the documentary perspective what do you think would be a what, what's the goal? What ultimate do you just want to tell the story? Do you want some some proper clarity in the report? Uh, you know, to be because I don't think it's even available still, is it? Um, do you want some reform no, it's, it's in not on been the release? Yeah, so I mean, do you want 
do you want some reform on the board? What what would be a, what would be the ultimate goal? Do you think from uh, from from you as the sort of storyteller here? We we've been asked this a few times, and uh, basically uh, the, the response that we're giving is right. I mean, it, we're we're telling the story here, and the fundamental principle of storytelling is show, don't tell. Yeah. Um, so the way that we're kind of looking at this is right. We're the journalists. We're going to put the story out there. We're just journalists. We don't have the power to do anything. Um, you know, we can highlight the issue, and then other people can act on it. But we can't. You know, obviously we have opinions about what should happen. Um, but I think if we start sort of ramming those down people's throats, it probably undermines the, um, the Maybe. film. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Um... Okay, so one of the things that's highlighted, I guess, it's highlighted in the trailer, I think, is the, the sort of process for distribution. So the theory was that, um, as you touched on before, the, 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 the more your gates were, I guess, as an average, then you should get more than somebody that has lower attendances. That was the, the basic sort of theory. In the documentary, yeah. during your sort of investigations, were you able to get any grasp on, uh, on how this money was distributed? No, it, it's just no, it, it does feel like no. finger in the air almost type of uh, you know. Uh, we no, how they came up with it was never explained. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it and that was we probably wouldn't be having this conversation if if they hadn't done it that way. If um, if they'd done it following the models that that you've got, the ones that we've seen, the ones that you know David Bernstein came up with. Uh, we would not be having this conversation now because there wouldn't have been a film. Um, that what would have happened is, I, I suspect they would have got another ten million pounds when they needed it um, at the end of yeah. uh, whatever it was at the end of the three months, and the season probably would have carried on behind closed doors, and things would have carried on as normal. But instead, we had this. Um, this drama unfolding before us, you know. So uh, you've done uh, two or three screenings so far. Yeah. Is, is it three? I've, I've lost. I've lost count. I'm trying to keep up to date. Is it? I know you did the Chester one this weekend. Yeah. Uh, then you've you've done a Maidstone one, I think, haven't you? Yeah, there was one at Tunbridge as well because their chairman, uh, Dave Neverstreet, he figures quite prominently in it as well. Um, and we're in talks with a couple of other clubs about uh, doing a couple more. Um, so how I mean, most of the time in those cases you've let people in for free and stuff to see them uh, uh, I think I was thinking some of the cases so how have the screenings gone how has that been has, has that been a good experience yeah it's very interesting uh, obviously at most it's my own club so you know it was a, quite a, a good crowd quite a receptive crowd in um, they were quite agitated by the end right um, don't spoil it and, <laughs> yeah and pretty much, I, I couldn't go to Tunbridge because the screening was happening at the same time as as the one in Maidstone. But Chester, right. Chester actually sold out the cinema, the Storyhouse yes. Cinema. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it was one of these things. I thought, well, maybe this is too niche because it's non-league football. But I was half expecting to see sort of people in a back row talking to each other and people looking at their mobile phones, but nobody really was. And at the end, um, the Q and A went on for so long. Uh, Callum McIntyre was actually on the panel and he was really interesting. Some of the things that he was saying about um, 
you know the sacrifices that he had to make during the pandemic you know there was a really interesting contrast people were really struggling to make ends meet footballers were struggling to make ends meet yeah and it it really rankled that you know clubs down south were building clubhouses with the money that they got and uh he said he had to take a job as a delivery driver yeah, our our captain was a, a gent called Sean Pearson, who's at Grimsby Town now. He left yeah. us, uh, went back home. Basically, Grimsby was his home club, um, and it, it, he was famous for being for delivering uh, delivering food of, of an evening um, to obviously make ends meet. So you know, I, I, that's that sort of example res, resonates really well with Wrexham fans, um, mm. and it just it is bonkers, isn't it? <laughs> just... Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely. Um... I, he was very impassioned when he was talking about it, and it clearly affected everybody in different ways. And the other thing, I mean, everybody was affected by it, even the clubs that did well. You know, Tunbridge did slightly better out of the distribution than they would have done had the original model been followed, but they were still suffering. You know, they were like, it's not easy running a club at this level um, or the level below, and. Uh, it was still a huge emotional cost for everybody because they're not allowed in the ground. Yeah. And so people's lifelines had been cut off and it was very hard, even for the people that were, you know, were the, were the supposed winners in the saga. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what's, uh, have you, have you, so you said you might have some screenings come up. Is there anything officially in the diary yet for, for other screenings or nothing that you can tell us about as of yet? Uh, there's, there's nothing confirmed, um, yes, okay. but we think, we think it'll be available on YouTube uh, by the end of the week, oh. uh, by November the 24th. So um, we, we want as many people to see it as possible. So yeah. we've, you know, we could put it on Amazon or something and charge three quid for it. And we probably will do that for people if they want to download it. But we that would probably put people off watching it um, because even three quid, some people don't want to pay that to, um, you know, to people don't want to buy a paper for three quid. So we, we don't think that they'll necessarily do that. Uh, so we want to get it out there. And we think it'll be on YouTube by the 24th. You just You just stole my next question. <laughs> <laughs> It's almost Something like you about. knew. I was about to ask you, have you got, have you sort of got an idea, a rough idea um, of when it was? Um, and I see, I thought a streaming service might have picked that up. Um, and even though, you, um, or obviously, yeah, you could, you could make it available. I guess it is really, it's really, listen, I, it's, it's hard for me to get people to, f- subscribe to the podcast never mind pay money for something so uh, you know i i i have some sympathy obviously uh some some sympathy with you um i know before you mentioned funding um how does something like this get how do you get funding for something like this because you know you've got to earn money and you've got to pay for people's time and you know equipment um obviously i haven't seen the documentary but you've got some form of camera crew and some sound and you know there's there and I know you can do that with fewer people than ever nowadays because of technology. But you've still, you know, there's still people in it. So I, you know, how did how how hard a fight was that? Well, um, the the easiest way to do something like this is to do most of it yourself. Yeah. Um, so if you've only got two people working on it, then it doesn't cost as much as it might. Um, and you're right, it is difficult because everybody's going after the same sort sources of funding for something like this. Um, so we've got a couple of independent backers uh, 
who who helped us out uh in terms of the actual work that we put into it you know we did several months of work on this um and it was a labor of love people helped us logistically financially in terms of their time above everything else you know um people gave very freely of their time to talk to us um people would help us out with contacts with numbers and things like that uh but yeah you're right it was a struggle i mean without going into you know into too much detail um as you'll know from hosting a podcast it's a labor of love basically yep. you do yep. it because you you love doing it um and that was pretty much what happened with us it was the story that sort of took us over um by the end of it we were both so invested in it that uh you know i've got i've got emails flying around my head when i go to sleep thinking about it and uh, it's not easy to switch off from it no i can imagine um so um before we uh, before i start to sort of wrap up with the last few questions um is there any way for people have you have you put any method in place for people to sort of uh to to contribute to any sort you know so uh, uh, any sort of funding pages or anything that people can can sort of uh, contribute for your time and effort or have, have you not bothered at all with that you're quite yeah, happy with your lot we probably should have done but uh, we haven't yet i mean we might sort of we might set some sort of patreon thing up or go um, fund me or something yeah something yeah possibly yeah um but as i say we've just been so wrapped up with getting it finished that uh, we we haven't got around to that yet okay um well i'll watch out for your social media and obviously i'll spread the word if uh, if you do Thank do you. something um because as i said i i i all along our, our it was just, it's just been an, it really it came at a, 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 a crossroads for for Wrexham you know uh, we were uh, we were very lucky in what happened and we were not reliant I guess in the end on that funding but I'm so well aware um, that from our point of view that we you know we could maybe have not been here um, you know given the fact that yeah. uh, you know um, there are clubs that were treated differently to others should we should we put that put it put it sort of that way um so i guess what what's next for you what's 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 the next one you can't stop at one now you've got to do something else what what, well, what takes you fancy now to, somebody said do are we going to do a sequel and i thought well i hadn't actually thought about that but <laughs> it sort of depends what happens with this but yeah. um, we've got a couple of other ideas you know that we're looking at um whether it's non-league football related or not, I don't know, but we'll we'll see what the reaction is to this one, and then we'll we'll think about it. There's a couple of cricket ideas that I've got um, in mind, um, but yeah, it, we're we're just going to sort of see where this goes and then take it from there. I think it feels to me like these are, and I've, I'm in no way am I an experienced journalist, as you can tell, uh, filmmaker uh, or or storyteller. But it feels to me, going back to something that you said before, I found quite interesting that you said you didn't necessarily know that there was a story. If documentary making like this feels like you don't necessarily know that there's going to be a, a story to tell fully, you have to go down the rabbit hole a little bit to sort of find out. Um, is that did you find did you find that or would you disagree? Yeah, with the that? Best, best example I think of that is Icarus. Yes, which I don't know if you've seen. Oh that. yeah, I've you, seen that Netflix yeah. documentary. Yeah, brilliant. That turned into something that they clearly weren't expecting. I mean, we we didn't have that kind of arc, if you like. 
uh, it all found out pretty much as I thought it would do. Um, the thing that I wasn't expecting was to get 50,000 hits on the trailer in, in 12 hours or excuse me, whatever it was. Um, that was the change, but yeah, it, it, Icarus is the prime example of that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, I, I, it, I mean, as I said, I'm not an ex I'm not an experienced filmmaker, but I guess there's probably hundreds of stories that start to get told, and then get thrown to the side because it doesn't unfold in a way that yeah, uh, definitely yeah. That most is, of the uh, time, you know, most of the time that happens, you get an idea and it it never sees the light of day. Yeah, uh, and I'm imagining writing books might be something similar. Again, not something I've got any experience with, but I'm sure people write a paragraph, <laughs> write a chapter, and then off it goes because it doesn't catch fire. Um, well, listen, I'm. I'm and I've been enthralled by this from the start. As I said, I've told you as I've I've, I've told you why. Um, the documentary looked fan the, the uh, trailer. Sorry, looked fantastic. Um, you know, when I look at it, the the sort of production values look excellent, and uh, uh, you know, those are, these are important things nowadays. I know I've got people who do friends who do YouTube, and it, it's amazing the difference that it makes having a decent production value compared to not decent sound you know uh, uh, and stuff yeah. so so uh, the the trailer really really blew me away and engaged me um and the people that i've shared um the story with um i've been really sort of oh, i can't wait to see that and yeah some of that might be because we're sort of you know we are national league sort of uh, uh fans but i hope it goes really really well What's your sort of? I mean, I don't know what's what will you call success on the on, on, on if you put it on YouTube. I mean, what have you have you got an idea about what? Well, you know, will fifty thousand views of it be a success? Will one view of it be a success? The first day I did my first podcast, I said, "Well, if ten people listen to this, I'll be quite happy." You know, I did it as a form of therapy. To be honest, I started the Rec yeah. my Rex and podcast. Um, have you got any idea what you what you, you know? Well, I mean, what, I, have I, you not thought about it? No, I've written books that have been read by uh, not very many people. Um, you know, I've my uh, writing career, such as it is, um, I, I have certainly not sold the number of books that I got hits for that trailer in about 10 years of trying. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, it's already a success. Uh, and anything that happens after that, to, just to briefly resort to football speak is a bonus. Brilliant. Well, listen, I'll, I'm ever so grateful for your time. Um, I, I can't I've wait. It. I've really enjoyed it. I, yeah. I, I apologize. I'm not a journalist, so we were probably here, there and everywhere. I did my best to make some sort of a, a bit of a bit of a map of so where we could go with, the yeah. with, with, with it without spoiling anything. And I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I say, I'm really pleased that we haven't spoiled anything. I don't think. Um, so with a bit of luck, um, Within a week or two, maybe without uh, without you know without committing you to anything, we might be able to to see this on YouTube. Um, and I, yeah. I say I can't wait. I, I hope it blows up, and I hope there's some I hope there's some bums in the National League boardroom twitching at the moment because uh, <laughs> you know who knows where this could go. Um, and, yeah, you know, I better I better not comment on that. But no, you I don't. Can... <laughs> well, and I, I mean, from my point of view, you know, as I said, I the lack of clarity around the National League and the National League board it needs sorting out. So I'm hoping this will light the fire underneath a few people to uh, to, to get the organisation, to get that sort of that 
board level organization up to spec with the rest of the league, I guess, um, because I don't think it's the thing that lets the, the lets the league down. And there is somebody in the the trailer that said, I don't, I'm not sure who the gentleman is. He said, we're here in spite of the National League, not because of the National League. Um, yeah, I'm not that's sure um, Ben Pasper of Dulwich. Right. Yeah. I, I didn't recognise that gentleman, so apologies. Um, and I think that's how a lot of people feel. So, you know, um, I'm hoping that, I, I hope you're the man that uh, that has lit the fire underneath them. Well, no, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> So there we go. I will uh, once again say thank you to uh, Fred for his time. I hope that's given you a little bit of a flavour of uh, what's in the documentary if you uh, haven't already seen it before you listen to this podcast. Uh, and I will uh, obviously, as I said to Fred, if you uh, can follow either their social media or my social media so we can uh, sort of keep up to date with what's going on because I think it's a, an absolutely fascinating story. Uh, and one that uh, I'm so happy that they that uh, that that they've told. And that's the end of this special. Um, I will let the dulcet tones of uh, Mr. Neil Smith see us out as per usual. Uh, all being well, there will be a normal podcast as well coming out this week following the, the weekend's game. But uh, I thought this one deserved its own uh, it deserved its own sort of uh, episode. This given uh, what a great story it is. So. Um, Fine. Uh, once again, thank you. Uh, thanks to everybody involved, for Fred, and uh, here's Mr. Smith to uh, see us out with the uh, official theme to the podcast, uh, which is uh, called Someday, and this is by 1987 till present. But that's been a football club here since 1864 Trying to do the town or city proud Playing under the massive floodlights of the racecourse ground Shine, you'll hear our cries. Hold our hands up as the Welsh dragon flies. We're loyal supporters on a lifelong journey. We'll live in hope, but we'll die in Cadbury. I've been telling everyone I see. I've been telling. I've been telling everyone to listen to me Someday we will be back in the football league We've had the best home talent like Joey Jones And his best mate Mickey T Davis was a druid, he loved Cumbry And his namesake George
Back in the football league 